Here, would you pray for us? Father God, I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you, God, that your mercies are new every morning. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together as a church family this morning, Lord. I pray as we come together um, that our hearts and our minds would be fixed and focused upon you and you alone. I pray, God, that there, uh, that nothing else would be distracting and we would able to be, be able to put everything else aside. And I thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that we have to come together. We would never take that for granted, Lord. And I thank you, God, that you have chosen us and that you love us. And Father, that we would, because of your great love for us, that we would in turn love you, Lord, and that we are able to love you, God. And I just pray that um, our hearts and minds would be open and that we would receive this morning and that we would respond in kind. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Holy God, precious light, I am yours, sacrifice for my word. Are enough, so I give you my life. Come and kiss this flesh. I am humbled by your grace. There is nothing.
to me. You're all I want to see. Cause you're all I want to see. If I only had one glimpse, it would last
Father, we thank you that our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. We thank you, Father, for the promise of your return. The hope that each believer has for eternal life. Thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning, God, to open up your word, to be encouraged. We pray, God, that we would be attentive. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you know where each of us are at. And I pray, God, that we would, God, not resist you or keep you at arm's length, but, God, that we would truly embrace you as you're drawing us to yourself. You've begun this work in us, Father, and you are faithful to complete it. I thank you, Lord, that we know your word declares that you know the plans that you have for us, plans to prosper us, not to harm us, plans to give us a future, Lord. And so, God, I pray, Lord, we would come and lay our burdens down this day, that you would strengthen each one of us, God. That you would heal the sick. Father, I pray, oh God, that you would provide for those who are in need. I pray, oh God, that we would seek you above all. Father, your word declares that if we seek you, we will find you. If we seek you with our whole heart. We say, oh God, come, Lord Jesus, and have your way among us today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're heading to Genesis chapter 32, and we're starting at verse 13. But as you're turning there, I'm going to head to 2 Timothy real quick. And I'm going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And it says here, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be, they will be, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. In the last days, there's going to be difficult times. People are going to be so self-absorbed into their own ways, into their own life. They're going to love pleasure more than loving God. And yet in these days, this is the time for the church to burn the brightest. Each one of us, individually and collectively. To go be about our Father's business. 
to no longer allow our past to define us, but to allow him to transform us into new creations, to a new way of life, no longer bound by the temporalness of this world, but looking forward to the eternal life with him. We don't have to wait there to experience because we're called here on this earth to go be the bearers of this good news. To live in such a way that your life honors God. Jacob, our buddy Jacob that we're studying, and again that's Genesis chapter 32 and we're starting at verse 13. He's left his father-in-law's place. He's heading back to where God is calling him. He has to confront his brother Esau, who the last last time Jacob had any news about Esau was that Esau hated him and wanted him dead. So we read last week how Jacob is devising these plans of sort to manipulate, to deceive yet again his brother in hopes that his brother would receive him and his family. But God is going to meet again Jacob in what we're going to read today. And I find it interesting that Jacob, though he's... and we Well, let me back up. We ended last week, too, with Jacob humbling himself before God, praying. Asking the Lord to see him through this. He gets up from prayer, and this is where we're going to start today. Verse 13, Jacob stayed where he was for the night. Then he selected these gifts from his possessions to present to his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams. 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. He divided these animals into herds and assigned each to a different servant. Then he told his servants, go ahead of me with the the animals, but keep some distance between the herds. He gave these instructions to the men leading the first group. When my brother Esau meets you, he will ask, whose servants are you? Where are you going? Who owns these animals? You must reply, they belong to your servant Jacob, but they are a gift for his master Esau. Look, he's coming right behind us. And Jacob gave the same instructions to the second and third herdsmen and to all who followed behind the herds. You must say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say, look, your servant Jacob is right behind us. Jacob thought, I will try to appease him by sending gifts ahead of me. When I see him in person, perhaps he will be friendly to me. So the gifts were sent on ahead while Jacob himself spent the night in the camp. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his eleven sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all of his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. I love this picture. He's now all alone. Nobody's with him. None of his possessions are with him. 
It's just Jacob. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When a man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. What is your name? the man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want me? Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means the face of God. For he said, I have seen God's fake God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left, and he was limping because of the injury in his hip. Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. Remember God's plan. All along, this beautiful love story has been written. The redemption of mankind. God is faithful to what he has established. Jacob's life is a chaos, is in chaos. And yet his hope has to be in the Lord if he's going to endure this. He's exhausted himself trying to manipulate the situation to meet his brother. And in exhausting himself, having to confront his anxieties, having to confront his fear. He's all alone now, and God shows up. And he wrestles with God. We know that Jacob, the name Jacob means deceiver. So he's been his whole life. And yet God has another plan for Jacob. Remember, God's plan is to bring forth the nation Israel. And he's going to bless the other nations through this nation because of the Messiah, Jesus. That mankind, through Christ Jesus, will be saved. As I think about the scripture that I read in 2 Timothy, and, and we recognize what the days are going to look like and the hardness that people are going to come to because they're going to be so consumed with self lovers of self, holding a form of religion but denying the power of God to change them. Yet God's plan is still moving forward. God's people are to live differently. We have been changed. We may still have our old name, but we have been changed. If you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been transformed. You have been born again of a new nature. You're not going to be like the ones described in the last days where you're going to be so self-absorbed. No, you're going to learn what it's like to serve as Christ came to serve. You're going to learn that if they hated him, they're going to hate you. 
it, in this world you will have trouble, but Jesus says, be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. We're to set our eyes upon him. We're to trust him. We're to go forward empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a righteous life. Not in and of our own selves, but only dependent upon Jesus, you all. Jacob has this encounter in the midst of his torment. Laban's behind him, Esau's ahead of him. And he's alone. But God shows up. God shows up. And some of our, if you would say, encounters with God in our own lives, we find ourselves, those are the most precious times. When we know what's behind us. <laughs> and yet we're unsure of what's ahead of us. And we may, devising, we may devise and scheme to, to try to get things accomplished. But God is looking for us to depend on Him. God is looking for us to depend on him. Now you would think Jacob would get up from this experience and be totally sold out. But we're going to find he still needs some work done. Because he gets up from this experience and, and yet God has changed his name and God's purpose will come about through him and his offspring. But Jacob's issues are still haunting him. And let's find out what I'm talking about here. Then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. He put the servant wives and their children at the front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then Jacob went on ahead. As he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. Then Esau looked at the women and children and asked, Who are these people with you? These are the children God has graciously given to me, your servant, Jacob replied. Then the servant wives came forward with their children and bowed before him. Next came Leah and her children, and they bowed before him. Finally, Joseph and Rachel came forward and bowed before him. And what were all the flocks and herds I met as I came, Esau asked. Jacob replied, they are a gift, my lord, to ensure your friendship. My brother, I have plenty, Esau answered. Keep what you have for yourself. But Jacob insisted, No, I have found favor with you. Please, no, if I have found favor with you, please accept these gift, this gift from me. I want a relief to see your friendly smile. It is like seeing the face of God. Please take this gift I have brought you, for God has been very gracious to me. I have more than enough. And because Jacob insisted, Esau finally accepted the gift. Well, Esau said, let's be going. I will lead the way. But Jacob replied, you can see, my lord, that some of the children are very young, and the flocks and the herds 
have their young too. If they are driven too hard, even one day, all the animals could die. Please, my Lord, go ahead of your servant. We will follow slowly at pace that is comfortable for our livestock and the children. I will meet you at Seir. All right, Esau said, but at least let me assign some of my men to guide and protect you. Jacob responded, that's not necessary. It's enough that you've received me warmly, my Lord. So Esau turned around and started back to Seir that same day. Jacob, on the other hand, traveled on to Succoth. There he built himself a house and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place was named Succoth, which means shelters. Later, having traveled all the way from Padam Aram, Jacob arrived safely at the town of Shechem and the land of Canaan. There he set up camp outside the town. Jacob bought the plot of land where he camped from the family of Hamon, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver. And there he built an altar and named it El Elohi, Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. Jacob finally meets his fear, his brother. And in doing so, he did not stand in the assurance of what God has already spoken over him. Remember, it was Esau who was to bow to Jacob. Jacob doesn't have to be, you know, cocky and arrogant. But he should be able to stand and hold the, the assurance of what God has said time and time and time again. Are you wrestling with God's call in your life because you're afraid of what others may think? That's not pleasing God. It's not pleasing God. You should walk in the assurance of who your God is, not in whom you are, but in whom your God is and whom God has called you to be so important because if not all your life you will remain insecure and trapped by those ungodly people and you're going to try consistently kneel before them in hopes that they accept you but you only should be kneeling before God and knowing that he has accepted you God himself but I love the fact, I don't know how many of you have ever struggled with anxiety. The what-ifs in your mind. The unknown that provokes fear. Jacob's what-ifs about Esau wasn't reality. His servants provoked, I believe, that fear by the message they gave. Oh, your brother's coming, and he has 400 men with him. And Jacob was more moved by that report than he was of the report of the Lord. Whose report are you believing today? The report that you have received or the report of the Lord who's already spoken and established his purpose for your life? Remember, we've already read in Scripture where it says that He has prepared good works for you to do. To live for Christ, you all. In a day and age when every, everything and everyone is against Him. 
the lost, the world is against him. The religious folks are against him. It is only those who truly believe who are for him and with him. Doing his will on this earth. Knowing whom, whom they belong to and their identity is in him. Are you struggling today with the identity as a Christian? As a child of God? Because you should not be. And you shouldn't be scheming and devising your plans to work out your life. Because that's ungodly. And you got to stop bowing down to the lost and hope that they will receive you. Jacob should have stood. Jacob should have been looking at his brother, embracing him, friendly towards him, receiving him. And yet Jacob was still fearful. In fact, he wouldn't even go any further with his brother. He deceived his brother again. You go. His brother leaves and Jacob goes another route. Careful the route you take. Because trouble's ahead. Careful the route you choose to go troubles ahead and not just for you but for your loved ones the Bible says to trust in the Lord with all your heart lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your steps your path Chapter 34. One day Dinah, the daughter of Jacob and Leah, went to visit some of the young women who lived in the area. But when the local prince Shechem, son of Hamar, the Hevite, saw Dinah, he seized her and raped her. But then he fell in love with her and he tried to win her affection with tender words. He said to his father Hamar, Give me this young girl. I want to marry her. Soon Jacob heard that Shechem had defiled his daughter Dinah. But since his sons were out in the fields herding his livestock, he said nothing until they returned. Hamor, Shechem's father, came to discuss the matter with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the field. As soon as they heard what happened, they were shocked and furious that their sister had been raped. Shechem had done a disgraceful thing against Jacob's family, something that should never be done. Hamor tried to speak with Jacob and his sons. My son Shechem is truly in love with your daughter, he said. Please, let him marry her. In fact, let's arrange other marriages too. You give us your daughters for our sons, and we'll give your your, you our daughters for your sons. And you may live among us, the land is open to you. Settle here and trade with us, and feel free to buy property in the area. Then Shechem himself spoke to Dinah's father and brothers. Please be kind to me, and let me marry her, he begged. I will give you whatever you ask, no matter what the dowry or gift you demand. I will gladly pay it. Just give me the girl as my wife. 
But since Shechem had defiled their sister Dinah, Jacob's sons responded deceitfully to Shechem and his father Hamor. They said to them, we couldn't possibly allow this because you're not circumcised. It would be a disgrace for our sister to marry a man like you. But here's a solution. If every man among you will be circumcised like we are, then we will give you our daughters and we will take your daughters for ourselves. We will live among you and become one people. But if you don't agree to be circumcised, we will take her and be on our way. Hamor and his son Shechem agreed to their proposal. Shechem wasted no time in acting on this request. He wanted Jacob's daughter desperately. Shechem was a highly respected member of his family, and he went with his father, Hamor, to present this proposal to the leaders at the town gate. These men are, are our friends, they said. Let's invite them to live here among us and trade freely. Look, the land is large enough to hold them. We can take their daughters as wives and let them marry ours. But they will consider staying here and becoming one people with us only if all of our men are circumcised just as they are. But if we do this, all their livestock and possessions will eventually be ours. Come, let's agree to these terms and let them settle here among us. So all the men in the town council agreed, and Hamar and, Hamor and Shechem had every, and every male in the town was circumcised. But three days later, when their wounds were still sore, two of Jacob's sons, Simon and Levi, who were Dinah's full brothers, took their swords and entered into the town without opposition. Then they slaughtered every male there, including Hamor and his son Shechem. They killed them with their swords, then took Dinah from Shechem's house and returned to their camp. Meanwhile, the rest of Jacob's sons arrived. Finding the men slaughtered, they plundered the town because their sister had been defiled there. They seized all the flocks and herds and donkeys, everything they could lay their hands on, both inside the town and outside in the fields. They looted all of their wealth and plundered their houses. They also took all their little children and wives and led them away captives. Afterward, Jacob said to Simon and Levi, You have ruined me. You have made me stink among all the people of this land, among all the Canaanites and the Pezzasites. We are so few that they will join forces and crush us. I will be ruined and my entire household will be wiped out. But we, but why should we let him treat our sisters, our sister, like a prostitute? They retorted angrily. Wow. Wow. Jacob went his way, settled in the land, in trouble pain. Whenever you go your way, trouble will always come. When you do things in your own strength, you really have no character to stand. No matter how you try your best to look good, you're not. Look at what happened to Jacob. Notice 
that when Shechem and his father showed up to speak, that it was the sons who replied and not Jacob? Notice, too, how they were just like their father. They deceived. They knew all along what their plan was. Payback. Payback. And Jacob remained silent. Notice, too, that Jacob really wasn't concerned about his daughter's honor. He was more concerned about himself. Wow. Lives were lost. Lives were disrupted. All because of one man's leading. Choosing to go his way. There's a lesson for us to learn today, you all. Stop going your way. You're ruining yourself and you're ruining those who are following you. Stop going your way. Thinking that you're the master of your, of your future. Stop using God to, 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 to believe to say that you are a follower of Christ and yet not follow him but still to go your way is tormenting. To think that what you think is blessing you is God, in reality, it's not. Remember, it's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. What's in your way? What are you leaving behind as you're taking each step each day? Deception? Manipulating? Unforgiveness? Bitterness? Torment? Pride? Arrogance? Payback? Your insecurities? as Christians we're to be living differently you all we just seek him he's the one that makes every crooked path straight he's the one that's drawing us to himself he is God he is holy and he calls his people to that same standard and I know the gospel has been watered down enough and we like our itching ears itched with allowing us to hear that it's okay to remain who we are and still have a little bit of Jesus. But you all, that's not the Christian life. Jesus himself, as we have been reading, as we have been studying, calls us to himself. And in doing so, we are born again. And you say, well, what happens to the, the stuff that's still in me? What happens to the thoughts? What happens to all this junk that is still there? Die to it. Be transformed. Allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in which he has been called to do. <clears throat> the Bible says, do not live a life that grieves the Holy Spirit. 
Don't be like the ones I read earlier in 2 Timothy, where they say they believe in God, and yet their lives are not transformed. The Bible says stay away from people like that. You know, we're, again, we've talked about this before. We're not called to stay away from the lost. We're to be light bearers to them. If we stayed away from the lost, how would they know the good news? No, the only people we're called to stay away from are people who say they know God and yet their life is not transformed. Think about that. They say they know God, and yet their life is not transformed. They're making a mockery of who God is. And that picture I always give us, they're, they're, they're stomping on the blood of Christ and splashing it up, making it common as if, as if it was nothing and there is no power in it. They make a mockery of his cruci crucifixion and his resurrection. They make a mockery of his ascension and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit by the way they live and how they testify. Like either he's God or he's not. I pray that we would know him to be God, you all. And it's a process. A process of a sanctification day in and day out. Dying to your old self. Recognizing that he is God. You're not. Putting your hand to the plow and not looking back. Jesus himself says, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for my kingdom. These are Jesus' words. These are Jesus' words. We can't go among the lost and act like the lost. We can't go among the lost and bow to them in hopes that they would receive us and our Savior. <laughs> Because really, then what Savior are you presenting to them? Careful then how you live. Careful then how your steps are being ordered by you. Because nothing good comes from the flesh. I know, I know. It may feel good for a moment. It may feel good for a moment. But that moment is not worth eternity. Separated from God. Separated from God. Jesus, you all. He has established his kingdom. He's established his kingdom. He's calling us into it if we so choose to come. He's not going to force you. He's not going to force me. No greater love than this that a man will lay down his life for his friend. And that's what Jesus did. And in return, he calls you to the same life. That my love, he says, be displayed through you as you lay your life down for me. And he gives us what we need to live a godly life, you all. We can't make the excuses. Oh, that's just my nationality. Or, or that's just what, you know, you don't understand what was done to me. No, you can't make excuses for your sin. You can't make excuses for the, for the very thing that is trying to lord over your life. You can't make excuses. No, you repent. You turn from it. And you turn to Christ. You put on Christ. You live now according to His ways. 
you apply the word of God to your life day in and day out. You're just not a hearer of the word. You are the doer of the word, and your life will transform. It'll be so different than who you were. People will take notice. There's something different about you. Some will be interested. Others will mock you. Others will laugh about you. Others will say whatever they want about you. It doesn't matter. Either you're all in or you're not. Go to Matthew chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 17. You know the beauty of, 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 of the gospel? Is that Jesus recognizes our condition. The Bible says he loves us, yet though we are in complete rebellion towards him. And yet still in that, through his love, he calls us. Like, I've got something better for you. That's what Jesus says. I've got something better for you. I came so that you would not be enslaved to the temporalness of this life, to its pains, to its struggles. I posted something on Facebook this morning. If you get a chance to read it, it kind of gives you a picture of what the churches look like in Asia or in India. How they crowd in how their lives are being transformed. Men used to beat their wives. Men used to be alcoholics. They're now sitting with just tears streaming down their faces. Their lives are being transformed. They know whom they have given their life to. When I think about our brothers and sisters over in closed countries, that when they lay their life down, when they accept Jesus, it's not, it's not a just, oh, come feel good story. No, they really believe. And they know that when they accept him, they can lose their homes. Their families could be drug out in front of them, beaten, murdered right in front of them. They know they will lose their status in society. And yet, when you read their testimonies, if you ever had an opportunity to meet them, they would be filled with such joy. How can this be? All because of Jesus. All because of Jesus. People have to meet in remote places. They don't even have the, the full scriptures, but the little scriptures that they have are precious to them because they're hearing their Savior's words. And we here in the West, how are we responding to Jesus? We want just a little bit of love of him to make us feel good. Or Jesus, just come and bless and, and pay my rent. Or Jesus, give me a car. Or Jesus, do this. Or Jesus, do that. And I'm afraid we've been deceived. We pile into churches, and yet then we flood right back out into our communities and our communities aren't changed. In fact, we find not all, but unfortunately the majority of Christians who just attended 
church worshiping their Savior out about with the lost acting like the lost. And the lost are coming to Christ because the Christ they see in them is no Christ at all. God help us with what we're doing with his message. Have you truly considered the cost? Have you truly opened up the word and allowed Jesus to be Lord? Don't take and pick what you like. Oh, that sounds good. I like that. That sounds good. I like this. No, take it for who he is and what he's saying. He's very direct with his disciples. He's very direct with the religious people. He's making himself known. He's come to do the will of the Father, to announce the kingdom of God. He knows the condition that we're in. And yet he says, I'll go and I'll bring them home. No one else is going to do that for you. No one else is going to do that for me. And yet we fight him. And you've heard me say over and over, why would we dismiss him? Such great love for his wrath. Like it's your choice. It's your choice. To either live for him or live for yourself. It's your choice. But in the end, don't blame anyone else because you're sitting here today and you're hearing truth. And if you're not responding to truth, then you're resisting him and you're saying no to his love. And you'll go about today and tomorrow and the next day, planning your own steps, devising your own schemes, trying to figure life out. And in the end, when your final breath is taken, you'll get your reward. It'll be an eternity of separated from God. And why? Why Jesus, the author of life, that God is pleased to reveal himself to you because you're hearing his word today. Like God is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus in hopes that you would respond and receive this free gift of eternal life. It's nothing you can do. You can't, you can't clean yourself up. No, you come as you are. But as you come and as you receive, you get up and you're transformed. You're different. And now you grow in it. You mature in it. It's vital. And I believe that's where we're, where we're held back. Especially in the Western churches. We're not maturing. We're not growing. We received and we're doing nothing with it. You must grow. You must mature. Jesus says here in verse 11. I mean verse 17 in chapter 11. tell you the truth, all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Remember last week we read about John the Baptist. He was in prison. 
And he sent his disciples out to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? And we see John the Baptist, this great prophet, if you would, having some doubt. And yet Jesus assures him, I am who I am. This is what's being done. And all that's being done can only be done by the Messiah. And so now he's sharing with the people here, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. This picture of the kingdom of heaven, you all. God's kingdom advancing. People will continually be against it. People will continually be against Christ Jesus. People will continue to be against his word. But yet, though people are against it, it will continue to advance. Because what God has established, God will bring about. And I love the insight that Jesus is giving here to his kingdom. Because the things of, the, of his kingdom are opposite of the things of this world. For before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. And if you are willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah. The one prophets said would come. Anyone who has ears should listen and understand. To what can I compare this generation? It is like children playing a game in a public square. They complain to their friends. We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. For John didn't spend his time eating and drinking, and you say he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented, repented of their sins and turn to God. Now, before I read you Jesus' words here, understand this. He's about to lay out an understanding I hope we all hear today. He, he, he is basically going to call out these cities, the people in these cities, whom he showed up, he did miracles, he revealed himself, and yet, oh, they were all happy of all of that, but yet they did not turn and repent. They like a little bit of Jesus. <laughs> they like his blessings. So many times, God could show up and do something in our lives, and yes, God, that's a blessing. And you even out of your own mouth can't even say it. But you don't repent and see him for truly who he is. Hear what he's going to say about you. You're no different than these people in the cities. He says, I worked among you and yet you did not respond to me. I revealed myself to you and yet you kept going your way. 
What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you have been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, then their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon would be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did before you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom would be better off on Judgment Day than you. Laugh about Jesus. Play your little church games. In one day, out the next. Show up and show off. And keep going about your life. You're making a mockery of Jesus. You're making a mockery of Jesus. And I know that's not a popular message. What packs places for people is to give them the right to keep living how they want to live and then stamp on them Jesus loves you. Keep going how you want to be. It doesn't matter. Jesus understands. Let's pump you up and make you feel good and send you out. And yet there's no repentance. When's the last time you repented? Of your wickedness, of your sinfulness. Well, I'm not wicked, no, but your lifestyle really reflects you are. Because lying doesn't bother you, manipulating doesn't bother you, perversion, sexual acts out of what God has ordained doesn't bother you, being greedy, gossiping, lying, stealing, cheating pride, arrogance, so self-absorbed, doesn't bother you. But bless me, God. Bless me, God. Bless me, God. You will stand judged on that day. And as he told them, he says to you, you'll go down to the place of the dead. I, I'm giving you the opportunity to come to me. I love you. You come to me, I will receive you. And in coming to me, I will deliver you. I will heal you. I will free you from this lifestyle of sin, from this lifestyle of destruction. This is what I'm offering, he says. Do you believe? Yes, Lord, then repent. What's repentance? Turning away from. It's not keep going back. It's not, oops, I'm sorry I got called. No, it's turning away from. I'm not going back. I don't care what the struggle is. I am not going back. I'm not putting my hand to it. I'm not putting my eyes to it. I'm not opening my mouth about it. I'm not giving thought to it. I'm going back. But what would everyone say? Who cares what they say about you? Because you've been accepted by God Almighty. By God Almighty. Jesus, you all. Jesus. Seeing him for who he really is. Oh, I, I thought Jesus was compassionate. He is compassionate. 
That's why he's warning them. He's already shown his compassion. He's already blessed them. He's already done miracles before them. He's already preached before them. And yet they did not repent. They just took from him. They just took from him. Make my life better, Jesus. And that's not the gospel, you all. A Christian, when you accept Jesus, you are forgiven. You all healed, born again. And you start living differently. Am I going to make mistakes? Yes. But you get up. And you repent. You don't make excuses. You repent. A Christian's life is a lifestyle of repentance when we fall, when we sin. First John says, I write you this letter so that you will not sin. But if you do, remember. I know we like the Christian life to be painted for us as we're all just sinners on our way to heaven. That's not the Christian life. You were once a sinner. Now you're a child of God. If all you see is yourself as a sinner, all you'll do is sin. But read your word. You don't see in the Bible, it keeps calling you a sinner. It keeps calling you a child of God. And when you see yourself as a child of God, then you'll act like a child of God. You won't keep sinning. So if sin is your master, you're not saved. That's harsh, Pastor. No, it's truth. It's reality. Romans 6 is very clear. What are the wages of sin? Death. But praise be to God. The gift of eternal life. For those who are with Christ, who are in Christ, who have received from Christ. That's why the body of Christ is so important to have fellowship with, because we're called to encourage, to edify, and build each other up. We're called to be about our Father's business. And if I'm sinning, you come alongside me, and you encourage me. Stop going that way, Rob. Stop going that way. You hold me accountable. If I choose not to be accountable, if I choose to continue to go my way, then you are to put me out. In hopes that my soul will be saved. But to play games, <laughs> to make a mockery of our king, we should not be making a mockery of our king, you all. We should be worshiping him, learning how to live a new life. Because guess what? We're still part of the same wicked world. We will go through the same problems that the lost go through. But we should be acting differently. We should be humbling ourselves. Every one of us, every one of us in this room have made mistakes and will continue to make mistakes. But are your mistakes, are your sins defining you? Because they shouldn't. You should repent of them. Turn and go the right way. Be forgiven. Act like one who has been forgiven. Experience that freedom of being forgiven. Like what, that charge isn't held against me anymore? Oh God. Do you truly see the damages of sin? 
and the destruction that it can cause. Jesus is very clear here. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves as wise and clever and revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal them. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry a heavy burden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden I give you is light. The Christian life, you all, it is a life of freedom. You're not yoked to the pressures of this world. It doesn't mean you won't experience them, but you're not yoked to them. You're yoked to Christ. And his burden is light. He gives you the rest that you need when your souls are weary. Jesus, you all. The author and the finisher of your faith, if you believe. He's not impressed with your religious works. No, he's impressed by your zeal and your love for him. To follow him. To come and follow me is the call of Christ. Go to Psalm chapter, Psalm 14. The whole psalm here. Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. Think about that. Only a fool will say there is no God. They are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. Oh, but that person's a good person. That person does this, that person does that. They don't know Jesus, but they're a good person. Only a fool will say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. Just because someone on the outside looks good, just because someone gives to the poor, just because someone does what it may look right doesn't mean that they are right. If they don't know Jesus, they're corrupt. They're wicked. They're evil. And these are the people that we're called to go to, to love and to serve so that Jesus will be made known to them. So how are you dealing with the foolish among you who are living in a way that they don't know God? 
They haven't accepted Jesus. How are you living among them? Surely not foolish. Surely you're not living among the foolish like a fool. Surely you're not corrupt and going along with them with their evil ways. Surely you're just not hanging out just to hang out because it feels good and it's okay for me to do. No, you're not to be living your life any longer. Because as a Christian, you have died to self. You're living differently now. You're learning to walk differently. You're learning to talk differently. You're growing. You're maturing. And so when you're out and about in front of them, they see something different. You are the light. You are the salt. No, if I live like Jesus, if I live like Jesus, they're going to laugh at me. If I live like Jesus, I'm not going to have any friends. If I live like Jesus, my family may put me out and say things about me. So then you just dumb yourself down to act a fool in front of them to be accepted? That doesn't even make sense. Like you're willing to disrespect your king and all that he has accomplished and done just so that you can feel good in that moment? Because I don't want to upset them. I don't want them to think less of me. So I'll just keep Jesus to myself. If that's how you're living, then you don't know Jesus. You don't know Jesus. You're foolish. Because you're saying in your heart there is no God. No matter how much you pray, no matter how many times you show up for church, no matter how many times you may quote a scripture here or put a scripture on Facebook or over here or over here, when the rubber meets the road, are you a Christian? When the foolish are around you, are you shining bright? Or are you just a fool with them? You don't need anyone to judge you. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Oh, no. You already stand judged. Because the word of God has already been exposed. Like you don't know if that's the last hour, the last second, that person you're with, you don't know if they're going to take their last breath. And you are supposedly the one who has the truth, has the life. And they drop dead in front of you. Don't mourn over them then. Don't weep and cry aloud then. And don't pretend they're in heaven. Because we all like to think everyone's in heaven and everyone's going to heaven. Where? Show me scripture that backs your belief. Did you just not hear Jesus' words to a whole city of people? All of you are going to hell. It would have been better for the cities that I judged in the Old Testament than for you on the day of judgment. The whole city... You all are going to the place of the dead because you did not repent. You were excited when I was among you, but you did not care. You did not repent. Oh no, we don't like that Jesus. 
We want the Jesus that everyone's going into heaven. And we can keep living however we want. You won't find him in his word that way. No matter how much you or another pastor or another person you think is holy tells you it's okay to keep living how you want. Careful. We have been warned that in the last days how people will live. We have been warned about preachers who are entering to the church preaching a false gospel, leading people to hell. Giving them what they want. Well, I don't have to change. Jesus knows my weakness. Yeah, that's why he went to the cross. That's why he was resurrected. To transform your life. We're talking about the kingdom of God. Your life is to be an expression of his kingdom. Freedom. A new way of life. And yet Jesus gives us what we need and we keep rejecting him. How are you among the foolish? Ask yourself as you go about this week. Think about where you were last night or the weekend before or, or last week sometime. When you were among the foolish, were you shucking and jiving with them? Were you acting just like them? But yet when they die, when they take their last breath, you'll be like, oh, you should be mourning for them now. Oh, God, give me the words to speak to my friend. Oh, God, give me the ability to stand and be light before them. Because, oh, God, if they don't repent, if they don't receive you, Lord Jesus, their eternity, they're separated. Come on, y'all. We're just a small little group. How are you living among the foolish? Don't stand over their graves and weep when you had every opportunity to tell them. Well, I'm hoping someone else does. No, you're in their life for a reason. There's some things you just got to tell them, I don't do that any longer. Remember, there's a scripture that says your old friends will laugh and say, huh, why aren't you doing this anymore? I don't do it any longer. I'm a Christian. Well, I'm a Christian too. God doesn't mind. No, he does mind. See, we don't want to offend people because they say they're Christian. Oh, I got a relationship with God. I'm okay with God. Are you? Well, I don't want to really say anything because that's uncomfortable. Christ was uncomfortable. When he was spat upon, when he was beaten down, when chunks of flesh were being ripped from his body, nailed to the cross, it wasn't something easy that he endured. And yet he calls you to that life. Does he really? Oh, yeah. The Christian life? Is that a cakewalk? He tells us. So from just the beginning of the psalm, how are you among the foolish? The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. Will those who do evil never learn? 
They eat up my people like bread and wouldn't think of praying to the Lord. Terror will grip them. For God is with those who obey him. The wicked frustrate the plans of the oppressed, but the Lord will protect his people. Who will come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel? When the Lord restores his people, Jacob will shout with joy, and Israel will rejoice. God, you all, will take care of his people. The people of God are with God. Christians on this earth, we are in Christ. We have his kingdom at our disposal. It is a spiritual walk now. It's not the walk of the flesh. We don't look at the temporalness of life and moved by it. No, we walk by faith, not by sight. It is a spiritual walk because you've been born again of the Spirit. Your flesh wasn't born again, but what took place in you, your spirit was born again. You are to die to your flesh. Because remember, the flesh only knows how to do one thing, and that's to die. And that's why it drags you to death. Think about it. Everything you'll do in your flesh leads you to destruction. Go to Proverbs. That's where we're ending today. Proverbs chapter 3. The good news is, you all, Jesus calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus is pleased to reveal God to you. God is pleased to reveal Jesus to you to you. How are you responding? If all you hear the gospel is this harsh message, then you're not, you don't have ears that are hearing. Satan has you bound and your ears plugged and your eyes closed. Don't be enslaved to the, the hellish ways of this world or to your flesh or to the enemy. When God himself is standing and saying, he who has ears, let him hear. And as you're hearing, respond. Respond. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. By wisdom, the Lord founded the earth. By understanding, he created the heavens. By his knowledge, the deep fountains of the earth burst forth. And the dew settles beneath the night sky. Wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is calling you all. How are you responding to her? Look at this beautiful picture. It is by wisdom the Lord founded the earth. By understanding, he created the heavens. By his knowledge, the deep fountains of the earth burst forth and the dew settles beneath the night sky. Why then, if we hear these words, would we settle for the ways of man, for the ways of the flesh? Look at what and whom we have access to. His wisdom, his knowledge, his understanding, and by that, great things come forth, you all. I'm gonna close with this last song. And then I'll close this in prayer.
what this life is for. I try so hard to stay in control, to hold back my tears, to not let go. I know the question you were asking.